Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. BetOnline is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. BetOnline is your sports intel headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs. From basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, golf to UFC, and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options in your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your home. So the call to action today, head to the website, use your mobile device to join, and be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer podcast on the Believe Network. As always, appreciate you listening in and making us number one sports law podcast in the world for three years running now. So really appreciate, uh, again, and humbled by uh, by the listeners, and I hope that we can bring a great show to you every week. We have a really good one this week uh, with Brian Hanula. He is the CEO of... Uh, and founder of uh, sports agency Siege. Um, He was previously with another agency and has been a practicing attorney for well over a decade uh, and uh, a very successful uh, player agent. Uh, Has represented some big names in the NFL and in the coaching uh, uh, business as well. So uh, he was able to join me um, for a graduate sport management class that I teach at Cal State Long Beach in the grad sport management program. They're really a great program. And uh, he was able to uh, join me for, um, for a podcast to benefit um, uh, obviously for all the listeners and uh, was able to uh, have a great chat with him, very wide ranging chat. And um, so sit back and uh, listen and enjoy. And again, appreciate listening in. This is episode 22 of season five. And uh, this is Brian Hanula uh, with me having a discussion about um, many different topics, but uh, uh, in the sports realm. So um, hope that uh, that you enjoy. So thanks so much. All right. So uh, welcome in, Brian. This, so this is Brian Hanula. He is a attorney and also uh, an NFL uh, agent. Um, I think they call it a certified advisor, but he can correct me on that. Um, but Brian and I went to law school together and, uh, just a terrific human being and, and one of my dear friends and has really built, you know, a sports agency practice from, uh, from the ground up and has done a wonderful job with that. But, uh, so, you know, Brian, welcome in and, you know, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, um, tell us a little bit about, uh, how you got your start with sports agency and where that sort of passion like came from? So my uh, my history is a little different than uh, a lot of people that got in in the sense that I did not seek it out initially. 
Um, I had made the decision, honestly, back, I didn't even realize it went this far back, but I got a uh, time capsule from eighth grade. And I guess I'd put in there, going to be a lawyer. Um, and that really just came from, I'm the first attorney in my family, uh, but I'm the oldest of four. And I used to always complain about what was fair and what was just. And my mom used to say, well, if you think it's not fair, you should be a lawyer. You like to argue. Uh, and that kind of just stuck with me, you know, as I was a kid. So I was fortunate enough uh, to, to play at the University of San Diego when Jim Harbaugh was the head coach. And so when I first got to law school with Jeremy, I figured, hey, if I'm going to be an attorney, I love sports. I have a passion for sports. Let me just see what's out there. Um, I didn't have any necessary like inkling or indication that I wanted to be an agent. I just figured if I'm surrounded by it in a legal context, that would be great. So my first uh, first semester, I put myself out there. I tried to network as much as possible. You know, I didn't ask anybody for a job or an internship. I just figured out ah, if I showcase, you know, that I'm interested in being proactive, something will come of it. Uh, nothing came of it. Let me tell you, um, you know, second semester started. It's the spring. I'm going to pro days. I'm going to UCLA. I'm going to USC, San Diego State, Cal. I'm going to pro days all up and down the coast just to try and network. Um, and really, that was the only networking that I knew of because I would played college football. I knew these things existed. I knew that they were a central hub of, you know, scouts, coaches, general managers, agents, people affiliated with the business. Uh, I got a lot of great contacts, but again, nothing came from that. Um, my break into the industry actually came uh, through an ex-girlfriend from college. And I tell this story and I think it's important because you never know who is going to be that catalyst in your life to something great. Um, and, and just the the quick synopsis, this, this ex and I broke up because I was I had to go to football at you know, 6 a.m. for weightlifting. And she didn't understand. Um, she was from Iran. Parents didn't, you know, no sports. She didn't know anything about it. Didn't understand why I would do that. You know, and I'm like, listen, I'm five foot seven. Playing college football is my dream. Like, leave me alone, you know? And so, uh, you know, this this was a bridge that could have been burned. Um, you know, when when we broke up, it was pretty contentious at the time. And I, I, to this day, I could not tell you why I took the high ground in this scenario, especially when I was getting heat. Uh, but I took the high ground and years later, um, you know, it's now second semester of law school. And she reached out and was just checking in. Hey, it's been years. How you been? I said, I'm great. I'm in law school now. How about you? She was doing real estate. And she asked me, you know, what, what kind of law do you want to practice? And I said, well, I'm hoping to get into sports, but I've been trying for nine months. Nothing's happened. I'm ready to make a pivot, right? And she goes, oh, I know a sports agent. I'm like, how do you know a sports agent? You don't even know what sports are, you know, like what are the chances? And so she sends me a photo. In the photo is Hall of Famer Marshall Falk, Hall of Famer Eric Dickerson, uh, Kenny Lofton. And then the fourth person was Rocky Arsenault, who was my, my former boss. Um, and so randomly connected us. I sent him an email with probably like 20 questions and, and true to form Rocky was just like, so you want an internship or what? Like, I'm not answering any of these. <laughs> um, and so I lucked out, uh, uh, again, a lot of it was timing. 
you'll, you'll hear this time and time again in the sports industry, timing matters. Um, you know, people say luck. When I first was asking people, they're like, ah, I got in by luck, got in by luck. But after 15 years, I realized that it, it really is a lot of, it's a lot of timing, you know, and luck is ultimately, uh, you know, preparation meeting opportunity, right? And so not only did I luck into, you know, this, this introduction, but within the first six months of being there, uh, he had to negotiate a contract for a left tackle, Donald Penn, uh, multi-pro bowler. Now, at the time, I'd never been to a pro bowl. Um, and the team basically said, hey, you're great at pass protection. You're a liability in the run game. We're going to pay you kind of like middle of the road rate. Uh, Rocky gave me this project and said, create something, right? I said, well, hey, can I get a a, a sample? You know, like there's not something you can Google and it's just out there, right? And he's like, nope, just create it. So I didn't go to, to school for the next two weeks, just worked on this project. Um, and I basically at the time was doing analytics that now is pretty standard, but uh, it was pretty pretty new at the time. There was no next gen stats. Uh, there was no pro football focus. Not, these things were not you know popular in use at the time. And I went and watched film and I charted out every run and I charted out every play. Uh, and with that information, was able to show to the Tampa Bay Bucks that actually your entire you know statement about uh, this player is just factually wrong, and I can prove it. Um, and so, with that information, ended up making Donald the highest paid player on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a left tackle. Uh, he made his first Pro Bowl that year, which validated you know everything that we had done on the contract side, and that was essentially like my foray into this, you know, then it went from, okay, I'm an intern with an opportunity to, I was able to provide real clear value uh, and, and start building a, a reputation, not just, you know, not just with my former CEO, but with other, uh, you know, other personnel within the industry. Um, and that was kind of how things got started. I love that. And now, Brian, I appreciate you sharing that. And I I think the personal touch there as well with talking about, you know, the relationships and and not burning bridges and how things can come back to help you, you know, down the road. Uh, so important. Maybe talk a little bit about uh, the registration process to becoming an agent and and what what that sort of looks like. I know it's changed over the years, too, but maybe talk a little bit about that if you can. So I will say the uh, my understanding is the registration process is still the same, um, but the test is very different than what it was when I took it, you know, over a decade ago. Uh, but for the NFL specifically, and and every every pro sport is different. Uh, professional baseball, all of you guys could be certified by the end of today. Um, the only way that happens though is if you have a player on the forty man roster uh, of a major league team actually writes your name down as their agent. If they do that and you're over 18 years old, education notwithstanding, you could become a licensed MLB agent. Now, I've had multiple players drafted. I've had players, Major League Baseball players drafted, uh, ran through, you know, up into AAA. But until they make the 40-man roster, uh, the MLB basically doesn't recognize you. But then once they recognize you once, 
you're certified essentially for life in their eyes. Uh, that's the lowest hanging fruit. Uh, MBA, you have to submit an application, pay your fee, take an exam. If you fail the exam, they'll refund the money. You could take it again. You just have to have a college degree. NFL, I thought was the most arduous process, definitely more difficult uh, of a background check with the NFL than even becoming an attorney, which is, you know, kind of hilarious. But uh, so for the NFL, you have to submit your application in January. Um, they go into, they, they really do a deep dive. Um, they will make sure that if you've been affiliated in any way with the NFL, that you haven't at any point put yourself out as an agent, as a runner, as recruiting players. If you have anything on your social media, they will flag you. Um, I've had buddies that got flagged just for even having photos, you know, with uh, guys that were coming out of college because they're like, it, it's not clear what this relationship is, right? And they will hammer you. Um, you go through that process. The exam doesn't take place until July of that same year. Um, and then you don't actually, if you pass the exam, which my understanding has gotten harder, it's open test though. So I say it, it's gotten more difficult because the NFLPA likes to take union dues and get money, um, but you won't get certified until October. So it's tough for first year agents because you won't technically be certified until halfway through the season that most players are already decided by. Um, so it's almost like you have to pay for a full year in advance before you're even really able to take a bite at the apple. Now, those are technicalities, right? Practically speaking, you can start the process earlier, you know, piggyback off of another certified agent. There's a lot of loopholes in a lot of business, right? Um, one of the keys with the NFL though, is you have to pay their, uh, the registration fee every year is 1500 unless you have 10 players or more then it's two grand. Uh, you also have to have professional liability insurance through them. You know, as, as an attorney, I have professional liability insurance and the policies that I have is greater than what the NFL requires. I'm not allowed to utilize that for the NFL. So every year, no matter what, just to stay relevant, three grand. Um, and then on top of that, if you don't negotiate a contract within three years, they boot you now. Um, and so negotiating a contract is not even signing a, a representation agreement. You could have a player who, you know, you sign a representation agreement, you expect them to get drafted or priority free agent, and it just doesn't happen. Doesn't count. Um, they sign practice squad. Doesn't count. You have to sign a player to an active contract once in the course of three years to be able to keep your license. Um, and, and this last year, I think this last year, was the first year that they actually made agents start all over. Now, granted, that's going to be agents who are on kind of like on their own, have no other support for the most part, you know, at least at our old agency, if a new agent came on board and they were struggling the first two years and they were running up against their, you know, the, the limitations, uh, we would just, if I did a deal, I would just add, you know, another guy to the contract just yeah. to give another restart on his timer. Uh, but if you don't have that and you're just, you know, you're doing it and you have a passion and you're on your own, uh, that three-year timeline is important because even if you get a draft pick, right? Say you get, you know, a second round pick and you crush it right out the gate. 
Um, but maybe it was a family friend, you know, maybe you're struggling after that just to sign more guys uh, or sign guys that sign contracts. That player's not even going to see a new deal until after three years. They're not even eligible for a new contract until after three years. Realistically, they're not going to sign until years four or five. And you're just like, you could have a starter in the league and the players union is going to be like, nope, got to retake the test, repay the fees, do all that. Um, so it's just something to be be aware of for anyone who, who's venturing on the round. Yeah. What was the, and I appreciate you sharing that, B. So what the process of getting your own company started, what was that like? Um, obviously, you take the plunge. I know you've you've had your own law practice before. Uh, which is obviously separate from the agency business. Um, but maybe talk a little bit about what the launch of your new business siege was, was all about and how you went about it and, and sort of w- what made you make some of those decisions. Sure. Um, I'll break this into two parts. The first part is uh, technically starting your own business. And then the second part is why did I make that decision uh, to go on my own? So, First of all, for all you guys, if you have not launched your own business, it literally takes about 10 minutes online for $70 in California. Um, all of you could start an LLC by the time I'm done sharing this story. Okay. Uh, if you're unsure on how to do that, ask Jeremy, reach out to myself after. Um, learning the basic elements of launching an LLC is going to be paramount to understanding how business works in in sports like if you don't understand how a a business operates on like a fundamental level um it's going to be really hard to be successful so i say that because starting like going out and starting your own business is uh kind of like a a fear point for a lot of people of the unknown but it's one of the easiest things that you could do especially in california um not having a profitable business that's a whole nother story but at least like starting a business and getting it going Super easy should not be um, should not be like a major obstacle or roadblock to you chasing your dreams. Uh, that being said, with regards to the decisions that I made, um, so I was leading. I was at Alliance Sports, uh, headquartered out of St. Louis, Missouri. I was with Alliance for 14 years. Um, essentially, grew up in the business, but for the last eight years. I was exclusively in charge of negotiating every contract and recruiting every player. And so, you know, I, I mean, my former boss, Rocky, was he was family, loved him to death. So when I left, I had my phone blew up. I had basically every agency in the country calling me, asking me to, to come work for them. Um, I entertained a, a, a lot of those conversations just to, you know, one, see what, you know, everyone else in the industry thought of my value. Uh, and then two, just see what is it that they thought that they brought to the table. Um, and ultimately I, I realized I'm like, well, if I, if I, again, if I have to do all the heavy lifting, I should be compensated, you know, accordingly, which means, I want to take home the entire commission. I don't want to share that. I don't want to be, you know, there's safety in, in taking a salary with a small upside. Uh, But what I would say is for those of you that want to be an agent, bet on yourself going and working for going and working for a big agency 
and I didn't come from a big an agency, mind you. But when I started, it was Rocky and I, and he had three clients. He had three offensive line clients. Um, and by the time I left, we had 15 clients. I'd had uh, six first rounders in seven years, had negotiated the largest contract in running back history for Ezekiel Elliott. You know, so it wasn't like I got this opportunity with CAA or Athletes First or, or, or a big player. You know, we were small and it was just the two of us. So I say that because you can start essentially at the bottom and, and build your way up. Um, and so when I was looking at, you know, opportunities of going to work for somebody else or, uh, you know, ultimately doing my own thing, I realized, you know what, uh, I'm going to bet on myself. I know that at the end of the day, I'm going to put in the work, have the knowledge. Um, and it just made the most sense kind of financially. Um, I also made a, a unique decision. Uh, most agencies spend heavily on resources, time, energy, money on rookies. In the NFL, rookies are a, I don't want to say they're a bad bet. They're, they're a difficult revenue opportunity. Um, and I say that because every first rounder that I've ever had, I've never spent less than 100K on to get them from January 1 to May 1 through the draft, right? Draft is at the end of April. But from January 1 to May 1, I've never spent less than 100 grand for top players, you know, spending a, a quarter million to 300,000 just to get them there. I've never spent less than, than 30 grand for a, a seventh round pick or even undrafted free agent. The way that the industry has gone with, with pre-combine training, um, players expect you to spend the money. They just do. So you end up in a situation where, you know, what, what I normally do with, with interns is I, I make them do math. You know, if you think that, OK, uh, the last pick or, or the first pick in the seventh round is going to get, a, you know, a hundred thousand dollar signing bonus. They don't. It's less than that. But I'm not a math guy, so I'm going to make it easy. Right. You do a hundred thousand dollar signing bonus and you make three grand. Well, you spent 30K on a minimum. And realistically, you're probably close to 40 or 50. But there's no way that you're getting through actual pre-draft training, a competitive offer, competing with everybody else who's out there without spending at least 30. Again, unless it's a family friend or some other connection, right? Um, that signing bonus, you made three grand back. You're still in the hole 27, okay? Now you have to hope and pray that this player makes the roster. Well, League minimum for rookies is still not at a million dollars. That won't happen until 2030. So even assuming your seventh rounder makes the roster, they're healthy the whole year, right? And there's splits in contracts. So if rookies get hurt and they're not a first or second round pick, they're going to get paid half the value, right? And you get paid on what they get paid, not on what they could make. So assuming everything goes right, your guy makes the roster, he's not on practice, but he's on the roster year round. You're still only going to end up, I think it's going to be 750, 800 K in, in revenue, right? That revenue, even best case scenario, uh, uh, a union maximum of 3% is the most you could charge, right? At, you know, at 3%, that comes out to what? Of 800 K, like 24 grand, you know? So you spent 30 on the kid, you've now made 27 through the course of his first year. And, and to put in context, you can't bill the kid until they've been paid. Well, the NFL also changed the rules to extend the timeline, right? Of instead of players getting paid every week 
including the bye week, getting paid 18 weeks out of the season, they doubled that. It's now 36 weeks that they get paid. The argument was that it's going to help players save money. So that means that real, like realistically, I didn't even send out my last invoices from last year until last week, just to put in perspective. So now here you are in May, finally getting paid off your player the year before. But guess what? If you're doing rookies, you had to have fund the last five months. We've already been through a draft in that period. We've already been through expense allocation, already been through, you know, resource management. So realistically, you have to have two years out of expenses for any player, right? Um, And that's why you see heavy turnover in the NFL business because you make one wrong. That's that's everything going right with a seventh round pick. Things go wrong, right? And they don't pan out. You just drain 30 grand, you know? Like how many people can afford to make a $30,000 mistake repeatedly? You know, most people get one opportunity to do that and that's it. Um, and so with that being said, I mean, I've had top top five picks. The money that you get from them, you may get a lot of money year one, right? Uh, Jamar Chase, huge signing bonus, right? Get a bunch of money up front, cover the investment and profit and then some. But then with rookie salaries, years two, three, four, right? They're on league minimum. So again, you maybe got a huge bonus year one, but years two, three, and four, they're back down to minimum. So now you have a marquee player, right? A rookie of the year player. And all of a sudden year two, you're making 30 grand off him, right? Um, and so the, the, the one thing that I would strongly recommend to, to anyone who wants to get into agent business, whether it's NFL, NBA, any of them, right? Crunch the numbers, do the math, find out what the union maximum is. NFL's three, NBA's four. Baseball's unlimited, technically. There's no cap, uh, but five is standard, right? Uh, I don't know what NHL is. I don't know if they have a, a standard or a limit. I would assume they do. Um, I'm not in soccer, MLS, or FIFA. So again, I don't know what those are. But the number one thing that I would recommend is make sure you do the math because the I, I think that's the thing that knocks most people out of this business. Like everyone talks about how cutthroat being an agent is and it can be, but that's not really what the problem is. The problem is that most people come in and don't understand the finances of how the business works and they can't extend their timeline. Like the best recipe for success is just sticking around another day. If you could find a way to survive and just stick around another day, another week, another year, you guys are all smart enough to figure it out. Everybody is capable of being really successful here um, at any level, you know, but the understanding what you're getting into and preparing for the long haul. So, you know, it, it could be one of two things. You you have family support. You've made money in other places. Uh, what I was told when I first got in is that being a sports agent is a part time job. Um, I didn't treat it that way, you know, and like the, the success that I've had, a third party could easily attribute it to that, but I'll be honest. I think that if I would have had stronger mentorship early on and, and and because I didn't have that, you know, I had a boss, but I didn't have mentorship. I I had no hands-on support. I couldn't go to him to ask questions you know, I just had to figure it out. And it was a sink or swim scenario, which has panned out for me, but it's not, it's not what I recommend for most people. 
Um, but what I was told is this is a part-time job and you'll see that endlessly. Most of the other agents that I meet, uh, they don't do this full time. They're attorneys, they're real estate agents, they're accountants, they're mortgage brokers. They do something else and they do this on the side so that they can afford themselves the time to figure it out. And that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, for me, I would, I worked for free. I slept on couches and drove instead of flew, you know, across the entire country. And I just found a way to scrape by year after year. And it ultimately panned out, you know, but they're, they're always going to be hidden costs. You know, it's like, I'm close to 40. I'm unmarried. I have no kids. Those are things that I've always personally wanted, but it's really hard to accomplish professionally when you were never home. You know, it doesn't matter if someone's lives two doors down, if you're never in town, like how do you build or sustain something? Right. Um, and you don't really see that. You don't see a lot of agents in the business who are single then get married. Most agents that I know that are married were married and then became an agent, right? Um, and this is not the end all be all. This is just stuff that I that I see. So, you know, when it comes to talking to you know people in your situation, you guys are considering this as a career path. You know, the biggest thing is make sure you understand the money because it's not nearly as much as you think. Uh, especially in the NFL, baseball. So I've had a lot of baseball players. Baseball is lucrative if you get a player that signs a massive deal, right? They sign a $400 million contract. It's fully guaranteed. You're set, right? Um, those players are few and far between. And the problem is I've had players drafted in the fifth round, you know, and this was when there was 40 rounds out of the draft. I've had them drafted in the fifth round, crush, you know, low and high A ball, make it to double A, crush double A, all the honors, then they don't elevate to triple A because they're, you know, a, a, a shortstop where, you know, for the Yankees organization and you and Jeter still playing, like you're never going to pass that dude up. Right. So you're just stuck there. And guess what? Those players in minor leagues getting paid like 1500 bucks a month while they're playing. So guess who has to support the rest of it? I'm responsible for gloves, cleats, bats, everything else. And some players, if they're talented enough, yeah, you could get sponsorships for them. But the idea that if you're a pro athlete, that you just have sponsorships and endorsements of plenty is like the biggest myth in this industry. The players that actually get traditional like sponsorships and endorsements is like few and far between. Um, but athletes all think that. I mean, even NIL right now, NIL is happening. And all these players think that they're worth all this fucking money. And there's websites that suggest that they're worth a bunch of money. And 99% of them aren't worth shit. You know, and it doesn't mean you're not a good player. It doesn't mean you're not a great human. It just means that your value to a business for marketing and an audience is non-existent or very minimal, especially considering you have a finite timeline. At least a pro, you know, you could be there for a long time. In college, you're there a few years, period. And you probably didn't even come into notoriety until sophomore, junior, senior year. So then what is your value, Right. Um, I know I'm bouncing all over the place. You can no, show me. This is good. <laughs> it's good, man. Um, so maybe let's focus a little bit on the NIL piece, right? Because I think that's something that's really interesting, uh, in terms of where the business is going. Um, interestingly enough, I had a conversation with one of the state senators, uh, probably a couple months ago who initially introduced the NIL law in California. 
which eventually became the Fair Pay to Play Act, right? And what I found interesting was when I had a conversation with with the senator, it was, you know, look, I created this law in many ways for lawyers to benefit the legal industry in that, you know, to to have lawyers sort of help out and broker these deals. But, you know, my response was basically like, hey, you know, appreciate the, you know, looking out, but uh, at the same time, agents are just going to move the clock. They're just going to start representing these athletes in an earlier period of time versus waiting. Has that kind of been your experience too? Is just where you're, you're, you're now working with some of these guys earlier on and helping out with NIL deals, if there's actually money there. So NIL has at this stage kind of split into two camps, right? And the first camp is it's now made paying players for the university legal, right? So now you have NIL collectives for each university. Most of these kids that are getting like serious money, they're getting it through the school ultimately. Um, with regards to agents, yeah, you're you're right. I mean, the reality is like we were we were already starting early, you know. So one of the things that made me successful is I was identifying freshmen early on, right? If you identify a freshman before anybody else even knows who the hell they are, before they're getting accolades, you know, they haven't hit the end of the season. They're not even all conference yet. And you give them attention and love and say, Hey, I see you. I recognize your talent. You're the first to market. If you're the first to market, it's going to be really hard for other people to come in behind you, you know? So it didn't matter that I was part of a small agency. And then all of a sudden the big boys would come in a year, two years later, by then, that's giving me a year, two years heads up on, on building a relationship. The difference now with NIL is I identify a kid as a freshman, but now I could actually put money in his pocket without it being under the table, right? I can facilitate any number of things. I mean, you know, the thing is now it's so hard to figure out. Agents are just paying players through NIL, right? Because all of us agents, we we have a bunch of businesses. We know a bunch of businesses. You know, I, I could hit up Jeremy and be like, hey, you know, your cousin's pizzeria is going to sponsor this kid. And he'll be like, they don't care to sponsor this kid. I'll be like, I'll give you the money. They give the kid the money. Done deal. Right. And there you go. Now the kid is getting NIL sponsorship from, you know, Giuseppe's pizzeria and everybody's happy. Um, one of the things that we're seeing, though, is from the agent standpoint, it's still business as usual. Relationships are going to pave the way. Um, kids and families that you just throw money at, it's like anything else. Like there's no loyalty in that. There's no loyalty in just going for the biggest bag or taking the biggest paycheck. So you see time and time again, kids that sign with one agency for NIL and the agency thinks, well, I have the upper hand. Technically they do because you sign an exclusive NIL deal. You have an opportunity to build that relationship. But most of sports agencies are a shotgun approach, right? They're going for max volume because it's an expensive business. There's a lot of misses and they don't really care, you know, to do their due diligence to make sure that they hit more often than not. Um, and so they throw money at a kid and then all of a sudden, three, four years later, you know, he signs with somebody else because he's like, well, I didn't, you, yeah, we did NIL together, but you didn't really build a bond. Um to a degree, I mean, it's allowed smaller players to, to get in and showcase value. You know, I think that's probably the best thing about NIL for smaller agents. It's like 
if you don't have a history to point to that you've done all these things that they could trust, if you had a bare minimum or to make them money, now you're showing real value. Like, hey, I'm here, I'm building the relationship, I identified you early, and I'm making you money. You know, it's a it's a start. Does that mean you're going to ultimately get them? No, it's tough to it's tough to compete with, you know, more established agents and and big dogs and big money, right? When they say, hey, we'll give this kid, you know, a, a half a million dollar marketing guarantee. And you're like, I can't do that. Um, let me tell you guys this. If you get into the NFL, you get into uh, representing athletes in general. This is one of the biggest like myths out there or misunderstandings. Um, and it's important for you guys to understand so that you could also share with players and their families. So I see this all the time. An agency says, hey, we're going to give you a half million dollar marketing guarantee and kids eyes go wild. Parents eyes go wild. Right. And this is coming from, I don't know, we'll say CAA. Right. And they're the and they're the big, you know, big fish in town. And you're sitting here thinking like, well, we can't do that. I can't do that. I can't offer this kid half a million dollars in a guarantee. Like, how will we ever meet that? Here's the reality. The reality is that for any player like of any like decent name recognition is going to get two offers guaranteed no matter what. They're going to get an apparel offer and they're going to get a Panini trading card deal. The way these guarantees work, these, these guarantees are not like we guarantee to put half a million dollars in your bank account. It's not what it is. It's we guarantee to bring half a million dollars of value to the table. Okay. So if you follow this example, you know, Jeremy's a, an offensive tackle coming out, right? And it's not a premier position, not a premier position for marketing, but someone's offering him half a million dollars. Well, here's what I do know. And say he's supposed to be a, a, a second round pick, you know, second or third round, day two. What I do know is that he he may be sold on it on Nike, but Adidas, Under Armour. Reebok when they were a player, they will over offer to try and get a market share away from Nike, right? So now all of a sudden, guess what? Nike sends their offer over and it maybe only includes $20,000 worth of cash, but they just gave you $75,000, right? Of uh, merchandise, right? Merchandise credit that you can just, you get an account, you get a little code, you go online, you buy, you watch these kids. If you go follow their families and their families like social, you'll see entire families dripping in Adidas, Nike, whatever. Like, cause it's the easiest way to do Christmas, right? Just buy everyone in your family, freaking sweatsuits and call it a day. So guess what? They just gave you an offer for a hundred thousand dollars year one, four year deal matches your, your contract. That's 400 grand right there in an offer. Now you don't have to accept that. But as in terms of offering a guarantee, you did your part, end of story. Now that player could take the Nike deal that offered zero cash, but guess what? They, you, you, they met the rubric, right? So even though the player chose something different, you met that minimum of a guarantee. So now you're at 400K guaranteed, okay? And that's like not unheard of whatsoever. Then you have your Panini deal, your trading card deal. Any player who's drafted is going to get a trading card deal. Now... It depends on your position and depends on your school because offensive players are valued over defensive players, right? 
and certain institutions are more valuable than others. So uh, I had a Dory Jackson coming out, first round pick coming out of USC. USC is known as a football powerhouse, right? But USC is a small private school. And guess what? It's a small private school with, even though it's a wealthy donor base, right? It's a small donor base. So when you are looking around the country at universities that have a that have large purchasing power as a community, USC is towards the bottom. Like if you have a player coming out of USC who's not a quarterback or a Juju Smith who's like a super flashy receiver, you're just an average receiver, average other position, the offers you get are minuscule. I've had wide receivers come from Tulane University get offered more than first-round picks defensive players, right? Um you go to an LSU, an Ohio State, right? A Notre Dame. You go to one of those institutions. It doesn't matter that you're an offensive lineman or a or a freaking kicker, right? You're gonna your value and your Panini card deals can be so much more because the purchasing power of the community is so much greater, right? So I say all that so that you guys can start to get an idea of like when people are offering marketing guarantees and kids and families are getting all all wild about it. And and this includes NIL. The biggest thing to talk with kids and families about is like, what is the cash value? Like, what is the actual cash value that's guaranteed? Because yeah, they may give you five grand up front, 10 grand up front, but then they meet the limit that gets paid and they never have to give any cash out of their own pocket. And they just hooked a player and a family on, which is essentially a farce, right? So they made it seem like this beautiful package and all this money but it's not, it's not real. It's not hard dollars in your bank account that you're pulling up on your phone. For kids and families who this is all new, right? The business of, of sports is brand new. They don't, they don't know. They just don't know. And you can't fault them for not knowing, um, which is why I say that, you know, number one role of a sports agent is to be an educator. Like if you educate players, if you educate families, one, they're going to see that you demonstrate an expertise and a mastery of your craft, which is going to be extremely attractive. It's so much harder once you're in the business to then find someone because guess what? Half your teammates you talk to are also with the big agency because 10% of agencies represent 90% of players, right? So again, I know I'm rambling, but I hope this is all just like little bits for you guys to ping into your brain, you know, and take what you find is valuable. No, that's awesome. Um, really helpful, Brian. I mean, in some of the stuff that you're talking about too, I'm like, you know, geez, I didn't even realize that either that was going on or how complex that that was, but, um, or sometimes you have an inkling that something's going on, you know, and you're like, okay, that is, that is what's happening. But so maybe we'll sort of end with this question is, uh, where do you kind of see the football, you know, business going? Um, you know, we had recent news this week that, you know, Tom Brady got a purchased a ownership stake in the Raiders players are making more money. Um, you know, obviously the NIL thing is interesting because you're right. Some of it's, I think blown out of proportion and, and it's not everybody's that's making money. It's usually, um, the athletes with the large social media followings and usually at, you know, specific universities that, uh, that they're getting access to stuff, but, where do you kind of see the football and sports industry going? You see any sort of changes down uh, coming, coming down the horizon here? It's a great question. Um, it's hard to say. And, and the, the number one 
question mark and ultimately obstacle is the fact that at least with regards to the NFL agents and where we're called certified contract advisors is our technical name. Um, agents are governed by the NFL players union, right? So whatever the NFL players union decides, we have to abide by, but we have no representation. So we are governed by rules and laws that we do not participate in at any level. Now, there are moments and times where we'll get to participate in like a larger conversation. Um, I have, uh, when I started my own agency, I partnered with a guy who only represents NFL coaches and front office executives. Okay. Uh, and at the combine or not the combine at, uh, the draft, he met behind closed doors with, uh, Goodell and Troy Vincent and three other agents. So there's only four agents in the entire room who only represent coaches and front office execs. And the point of that meeting was just to discuss diversity at the highest levels. And like, how do we fix it? How do we make these changes? You know, stuff like that. So there are moments in time where you maybe get a say um, to just give some advice, but at the end of the day, we have no control. So when I first started in this business, three collective bargaining agreements ago, the max that we could charge was 4%. Out of nowhere, NFLPA dropped, chopped it down to three. When they chopped it to three, it knocked out 50% of the agencies, just like that. That 1% change, when you're talking about $10,000 on a million, you know, for us, it's a huge, huge difference maker, right? Um, cut out half the agents immediately. I think if you look at the stats now, it's like 80% of agents got certified in the last five years or less. You know, there are like very few of us that have been doing this, you know, for a decade or more. Um, and that was one of the reasons. It's one of the reasons why a lot of the smaller agencies got uh, either bought out or merged with large agencies. Um, you see a lot of like less smaller people like getting involved. Um, smaller agencies are kind of like dying off. Um, and, and what I do know is when I was at the Combine, I met with uh, one of the top execs for the NFLPA. And he told me, he was like, Hey, no offense, but like, we think that we could, uh, do this without agents. And if it was up to me, we would charge every player half a percent and then collectively pay a staff of 40 people to negotiate contracts. So I start by saying, if it's up to the players union, agents will be gone. They tried to cut us two years ago. They tried to drop us from 3% down to two. And thankfully enough players fought back saying like, Hey, my agents are worth this. Right. Like everyone looks to, to Lamar Jackson and like, Oh, well he did his own deal. And that's going to set a new trend. I promise you it's not players are not going to start representing themselves. It's too difficult. It's too complicated. 99% of players that do their own representation don't get a good deal because they lack understanding of the market. And so they they'll, and they'll cave on things that don't matter right? They'll cave. Okay. You got your entire contract fully guaranteed. Woohoo. Now you can go claim the media, but how much of that was full guarantees because an injury guarantee doesn't protect you anymore. And with modern medicine, freaking Alex Smith almost lost his leg and was back on the field a year later. So in let, I mean, uh, DeMar Hamlin died on the field and is getting cleared to play. So unless you're like a Ryan Shazier, which is one in however many million, right. Where like you have a spinal 
you know, injury that then prevents you from having normal human life. The reality is 99% of injuries, like you're going to come back from in a year, which means that that, that protection is gone. If you're healthy, you're not actually protected. So you could have a fully guaranteed contract for injury. And if you're never hurt, you actually had no protection whatsoever. Right. Um, So I say all that, which is the negative side leading into the more positive uh, spin on like the future. What I see is I see a lot of really disgruntled players. I see players who were sold a bill of goods or drink the Kool-Aid of like the large institutions and the large agencies because they were flashy and not actually, not actually receiving that benefit. Right. What I see is more opportunities like this, people like Jeremy that are holding classes and giving you the information that matters, you know, like, I mean, we went to sports law, you know, group in, in law school now, and I don't know about you, but I've received very little practical information from that, you know? Right. Um, and, and it's one of the benefits now of like the modern internet and people like Jeremy and even myself who are like, Hey, I'll, I'll share with you. I don't care. I can yeah. give you the recipe. I don't feel like that means that I'm going to lose, you know, my opportunity to make money and the chance for me to be successful. Like I can still succeed while also seeing, you know, you guys succeed. And I think you're starting to see a lot more of that. So I think, especially with NIL, there's the opportunity for people in your position to start doing it. It doesn't have to be football. You know, if you're into, you know, tennis or hockey or diving or badminton or judo, right? Like you can start going after Olympians and Olympic sports. Like there, there's so many sports out there. Football and men's basketball by far get all the attention, right? And they're, they get so much attention because they are the strongest revenue producers at at the collegiate level. But what we're going to see, eventually that's going to go away. Like NCAA will be gone. Football and basketball will branch off in our lifetimes. Absolutely. Um, And it's going to be a for-profit venture, which it should have been forever. So there's opportunity out there. There's opportunity for you guys to, to, to get into other sports. If you guys are interested in representing players and the easiest way to build is coming out of college, right? It's hard to get a veteran to switch to somebody who has no experience. So you get experience by getting players at an amateur level, out of high school, out of college, whatever. You now could do that and provide money, you know, through NIL. So you have this opportunity. What people don't realize is when you start playing in this realm, you ultimately are going to end up interacting with power brokers. Well, the number one power broker in the country in sports is a college athletic director. Okay. Well, guess what? That athletic director is the same person who oversees the hiring for men's football, men's basketball, women's tennis, women's row, everything, right? It's the same person. So if you are open-minded and or have a passion for alternative sports, there is a massive industry, massive industry in alternative sports. No one is doing it. There's the opportunity to go out there, go get low-hanging fruit, start small, right? Start small and just learn the ropes. Like don't try and get with an agency to get experience. Agencies are not going to give you experience. They're going to exploit you. They're going to be like, who's your network? What's your contact base? How can I profit off it? Because realistically, you have to provide value to me. If you're not providing actual value in terms of like dollars, 
like, what are you doing here? You know, the reality is like the agent business is already in its cycle. It's in its cycle. It's in its flow for someone new to come in and add value. What are you doing? You know, like you could maybe be a graphic designer, but then you're going to get pigeonholed on a hourly or salary rate. You know, if you're coming in, you want to be an agent. The only way agents make money is by bringing in new talent. You know, essentially you're, we're, we're car salesmen. Like that's it. You know, you have a, you have a product, you have to sell it. And if you don't have that to sell, then what are you even doing here? So, you know, it's cool for a resume, but I'll tell you this, every time I get a resume from somebody who has worked for two or three other agencies, even one other agency, immediately I'm like, I don't want this person because you were already somewhere else and they didn't see the value enough to hire you. So now you're coming to me like, and you could have been great and they could have not given you the time of day. Like I could have easily been the story, but I'm going to look at it like you didn't show enough to them and they're pretty desperate. So like, if you didn't show any value to them, what value are going to be to me? Because I don't need you to, to run numbers. I don't need you. Like it's nice sometimes to have someone do the busy work on analytics, which is what I really enjoy. You know, it's nice to have that done at half the amount of time. Um, but it's not a need. It's not a necessity. It's not something like I'm going to give a portion of commission for, you know what I'm saying? So again, I wrap all that up, believe in yourselves, uh, take, take the risk, take the jump. It's why I led this whole thing with like, Hey, it's easy to start a business because it's super easy just to have an LLC, have a website, get going less than a few hundred bucks. And now you're up, whether you're successful with it or not is a whole nother thing, but it gives you a presence, right? Like what it does do is as you're new, as you're young, it validates you, right? If you say you're the CEO of, you know, Randall Walker sports or, you know, Marcella Saldana sports, like, no, people don't know. They don't freaking know. And if you do good business and conduct yourself professionally, they're going to engage you as such, right? So the opportunities out there are abundant. You know, certain things are going to make more money than others. But at the end of the day, it's a very small industry. It all funnels. And you could start in one arena and transition to another. Oh, I love that, Bri. No, and thanks for sharing that. Um, always uh, entertaining and, and uh, insightful. So I appreciate you uh, and taking the time. All right, folks. Again, uh, that was Brian Hanula, um, very well-known sports agent in the NFL and uh, for coaches as well. A terrific individual, a dear friend. Was glad that he was able to join us. This episode has been brought to you by Bet Online, and we'll look forward to being back with you next week. Again, thank you so much for listening in.